This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Life's busy. Take this deck. There's heaps to do on it, like um, polishing off this wine. That's tough. Life's pretty good with a Trex deck. Composite decking with no hard maintenance. Trex, the world's number one decking brand. G'day, Mike Hussey here, but you can call me Mr. Supercoach. KFC Supercoach BBL is back and there's 25 grand up for grabs. So what are you waiting for? Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005. Big talk, big opinions, the panel. Panel regulars this morning, Mark Hinton and uh, Jamie Wall. We'll go big uh, on rugby, a uh, little bit of, um, I think, basketball to talk about. Um, particularly, we might even uh, touch on uh, Hawke's Bay. We just might do that. But uh, begin uh, this morning uh, with Mark Hinton. Um, was it all or not all what you expected when you watched the All Blacks, Mark, yesterday morning? Uh, good morning, Smitty. Morning, all your listeners. Um was it what I expected? Yeah, pretty much. The score was a little higher, um, maybe, you know, than what we might have anticipated, but that was a pretty weak USA team. Um, look, there was a mismatch. It was always going to be a mismatch, and the, the, the degree of mismatch was compounded by the fact that the USA couldn't even pick their strongest team. I mean, let's face it, they don't not exactly blessed with depth when it comes to rugby the mighty USA, um, and when they can't pick their strongest team, but it was never going to be much more than an opposed training run. So um, not not hugely surprised, a bit like Tonga earlier this year, wasn't it? Um, but, you know, they keep, Smithy, everyone keeps going on about the US being the sleeping giants of world rugby. They are still snoring their heads off, that's for certain, because mm. uh, there are no, no signs, based on what we saw yesterday, that that they're going to emerge as any sort of credible force anytime soon. I know there's some positive things happening, bidding for World Cups. They've got a pro competition up and running. But they've still got a long way to go to produce the talent to compete with the Tier 1 nations, and that's essentially what the game comes down to. Jamie, uh, as you watched any, uh, that, that game, did you learn anything about um, the All Blacks? Because... Uh, as Mark pointed out, they went up against much. So do we read too much into any of those individual performances? Uh, yeah, good morning, guys. Uh, absolutely not. There, there was nothing you could take out of the game at all. Uh, I think guys like Sam Kane, Dane Coles, etc., who are going back into the team, it probably would have done them better to just go have a run up a hill or something. Um, what, what I did learn, though, is that, uh, and just picking up on something that Mark just mentioned, about the growth of the game in the USA is their World Cup bid, is that those stadiums are completely unsuitable for playing test rugby in. There's not, they're just not big enough. Um, that, that end goal was only about four metres long, and that field can't possibly have been a regulation test rugby field because it's, uh, it's built for a, a smaller American football field. Uh, and you couldn't even see the corner of, of one of the... Um, uh, sorry, one of the one of the corners that Will Jordan's scoring his tries in, uh, because the, the stadium isn't built to um, 
to broadcast uh, rugby match in. So how they're actually going to hold a World Cup without dramatically changing either like reshaping those stadiums or uh, changing the size of the field itself, uh, it's going to be a major logistical issue for them if they are going to have a World Cup there, which I think World Rugby are probably quite keen on. Um, but that's mm. that, that's what I took out of it. Yeah, not too much at all. So uh, I, I guess money will talk, Mark, when it comes to this bid. Uh, so I would imagine it will, you know, uh, it'll be substantial and it will probably eventuate at some point, won't it? Regardless of the strength of the national team. Oh, absolutely. Look, um, you know. It, it's a known fact that the U.S. is a massive commercial pipeline of money, and we all know the world rugby dances to the tune played by the uh, by the guy who is guys who write the check. So the World Cup will be in the U.S. Um, whether it's 2027 or 2031, I'm not too sure. I think the Australians are pretty keen on 2027, so maybe it'll be 2031. They'll give them a bit more time further build interest in the game over there but they will get it because money talks and there's a lot of money in the US and again that is why these games are taking place, that is why countries like New Zealand, Australia um, you know they're interested in the US because obviously of the of the you know the untapped I guess uh, commercial possibilities look they're not without hope, it wasn't long ago Japan were hopeless a hopeless case you know mm. the competition was second rate, the team was getting beaten by record scores. You know, New Zealand's highest ever score is against Japan at the World Cup. Uh, and look look at the way they've turned themselves around and they're now at a legitimate competitive international team. They've got a, a professional competition that is um, certainly heading towards being on a par with some of the best around the world. So Japan is the, ca- the case that, that USA need to look at. How did they do it? What pathway do we need to follow? Because Japan can do it, and, and a similar country in terms of their resources, their money, their commercial clout, um, if Japan can do it, you would think the USA could. Well, it's an interesting point, uh, if they could put it on, because, uh, to be honest, um, one of the things that's come out of this, is uh, both from Sam Whitelock and Artie Savia, is the fact that they know how to put on an event, um, and we should take a lot of lessons out of it, particularly when it comes to rugby, and spicing it up, says Adi Sevilla. So, uh, Jamie, I think if they get it, it will be quite spectacular. But, um, wow, I mean, I'm always... When the host team doesn't have a, a bolter's chance of even being competitive, that worries me about the whole thing. But I suppose, in terms of a show, America do it the best. Uh, yeah, yeah, I saw what Adi had to say, you said about that. And I think, I mean, the main thing I, I took out of that was that um, it was good to actually hear a an all-black just come out and say something he thought, which was quite interesting, and, and have everyone say, oh, well, that's, that's kind of cool. So if any of them are listening, um, don't worry about saying what you think on social media. We're not, we're not always going to jump down your throat on it because Artie had something interesting to say, so that was kind of cool. Um, yeah, uh, yes and no uh, around like the fact that they, they seem to do it better than everyone else. I think um, the fact that they have just a massive car park and that they can drive the cars in there and, and drink beer out of them, out of the back of them, is something that we don't really have here. So, of course, it's... And they have that culture uh, over there. Um, you know, it wasn't that long ago that we had an event in New Zealand that was a massive tailgate party that Artie was kind of alluding to, which is the Sevens, and that kind of got, uh, you know, that, that's that been taken away through through COVID, you know, and it fell away and, and when it was in Wellington. But, I mean... 
I, I think it's just a lack of money to be able to put that sort of stuff on. If you look at the game day experience of an all-black test, they're only ever really giving you a game of rugby, and that's it. There's not, there's not really much else. And for all that stuff to be around it, you need a stadium precinct. You need um, bars and amenities to be you know, around it that and, and require a lot of kind of third-party investment. Um, so until we can get that in New Zealand, which is a country that doesn't, you know, as Mike said, that doesn't have as much uh, money as somewhere like the United States, then we're probably not going to be able to have something like that. But, you know, if the will is there, then we can find a way. Mark Hinton and Jamie Wall with us uh, on the panel this morning. We'll take a short break for the news when we come back. Uh, a little look at a bit of a romantic game with uh, Jamie Wall, the coast, the Battle of the Coast, uh, and also uh, a little bit of uh, Stephen Adams. What a start to the season for the Grizzlies. Uh, and Mark Hinton, will, I'm sure, will comment on that as well. Part two of the panel, a bit of basketball. Uh, Mark, love your comments on the start to the NBA season. Uh, such a long season, uh, so let's not get too carried away with it. But uh, Stephen Adams uh, with his new franchise, uh, and uh, they're 2-0. Yeah, great start and a, a, a really good start from Stephen Adams. Not look, not a lot was expected from him. Um, the, the, the critics, of which there are many in, in the NBA, um, widely portrayed this as a major downgrade for Memphis getting Stephen Adams to replace um, their Lithuanian centre Jonas uh, Valanciunas they had last year or the last few years. Um, there, so there wasn't there wasn't a lot of hope that Stephen would be would be, um, I guess, have a prominent role for the Grizzlies this year going in Smithy, but he has surprised um, not only the pundits, also the home fans. And he's in a good team, a good young team. They've got a, a superstar point guard by the name of Ja Morant, who's, who's really going to become one of the emergent stars in the USA, a dynamic young man, can jump out of the gym, can score, plays with a smile on his face. So, you know, if you're thinking about tuning in, to check out um, how Stephen is going this season, it's definitely worth it because uh, Jar Morant is worth the price of the ticket alone. He's, he's a fabulous player. So he's, I think Stephen's found himself in a good place, but what a great start. Opened up with eight points and 14 rebounds and a, and a uh, hard-fought win over Cleveland. and Not a great Cleveland team, but then just in last outing, they beat the Clippers, um, legitimate playoff contender out of the West, 120-114. Stephen produced 17 points and nine rebounds and shot the ball very efficiently. Look, if they give him opportunities, it looks like he's going to contribute. This is a real positive start for Stephen and a real positive start for the Grizzlies, who are tipped to be kind of fringe playoff contenders. The way they've begun, and as you say, Smithy, there's still 80 games to go in the season, so a long haul in front of these guys. You can't start better than 2-0. and So promising signs of Dean's in Memphis that, A, they're a team worth watching. They're fun to watch. They're dynamic. They're young. And they've got a, a, a grizzled, grizzled old uh, 28. He's the oldest player on their roster, would you believe, Stephen Adams. Grizzled old Kiwi centre, who's kind of, you know, excelling in the role as a blue guy for the Grizzlies. So promising inside the dog, but a long way to go. Uh, Jamie, I'd like to go back to uh, rugby because uh, we talked about rugby at the highest level. Uh, but then again, you, you had a classic matchup over the weekend, uh, East Coast versus West Coast. Um, which you wanted to comment on, and um, man, I've never been to one. I'd love to. I'd love to go to one. Yeah, yeah. I, I think um, a lot's been made of the East Coast team and their, uh, their celebrity ringings that they've, they've got in, and, and that's been an awesome story. And 
and also the story of their, their long losing streak um, that they snapped um, a weekend before last. Uh, but for me, um, when I was younger, when, when back when the NBC was three divisions and um, I had a little wall chart that I got, I think, from the Dominion or the Evening Post and had little cards of all the teams and each each weekend you'd, you'd rearrange them as, as to what um, position they are on the table. And one card I never had to move was West Coast because they went through, I think, about a 70-odd game losing streak in the mid-90s. Uh, and so I've always kind of had a soft spot for them. And um, they, they've been really proactive, the Heartland teams, in, in getting coverage of their games. They're able to live stream them on Facebook. It'd be awesome if some of them were on Sky, but I understand that, you know, obviously a lot of the crew's based in Auckland, so they can't get out and, and get those. But, um, yeah, I watched the East Coast East Coast game on, on Saturday afternoon, and it was awesome. It was one of the best games I've watched uh, all year. The standard was was, was really decent. Um, it was a, going try for try for the, for the whole game, um, and, and West Coast won with a try uh, right right at the end um, there. And uh, Ma Nonu, Fafile Lavave, and Jose Aguirre all turned out uh, for East Coast, yeah, and it looked like just everyone there was just having such an awesome, awesome time. I think there was a, it looked like there was a stag do going on over on one side. So, yeah, it, it does look like a really cool little event and something that's really unique um, to New Zealand. And for me, uh, to see that that really encapsulated what's everything that's good about New Zealand rugby um, right there, what's good and unique, and what's what's uniquely ours. And then the next day to see the All Blacks playing and in the US in some sort of Mickey Mouse test match where it feels kind of like that brand has been, you know, kind of taken away and sold off to the highest bidder. It really kind of put things in perspective. So I, I really, really enjoyed that game and, and thanks very much to the West Coast people for uh, making the effort to put put that on and um, long may their success continue. Can we just, uh, I'd just like to go back to basketball just for a second, Mark, if I could, and uh, Sean Marks um, is, I think, starting to really establish himself as a very good administrator in the games and standing firm on Kyrie Irving this time around. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Sean Marks, possibly New Zealand's, I guess, um, biggest achiever in sports administration. If you think about what, it, what you know, the what it takes to be a GM of an NBA club, you're literally in charge of, of hundreds of millions of dollars. Salaries and budgets and everything. I mean, it's it's an incredible achievement, and he's found himself with the Brooklyn Nets, who uh, are quite the story. Smithy, as you touched on, got two absolute superstars in in Kevin Durant and James Harden, and have a third who they are unable to play in Kyrie Irving because he won't get vaccinated. And in the state of New York, if you aren't vaccinated, you can't appear um, at any public events and indoor stadiums. And so the Brooklyn Nets have said until Kyrie Irving gets vaccinated. Um, he can't play any of their home games. He could technically play their away games, but they've said, you know, it's all or nothing, which is fair enough when it comes to sport. And that's uh, Sean Marks' decision, the Kiwi uh, GM of the Brooklyn Nets. He's stood firm. And I think um, most of America, from what I can work out, are standing firm with him. They back uh, Sean's decision. They back the Nets' decision, coached by Steve Nash, another fantastic NBA uh, name, brilliant point guard from a few years back and now becoming a very good coach. So, yeah, quite a standoff going on. Will Kyrie get the vaccine? Kyrie, of course, Kyrie Irving, fantastic point guard, once um, made a name for himself by proclaiming the earth was flat, and he was pretty certain about that. So let's um, have a, a, you know, we're entitled to ask a few questions about maybe Kyrie's beliefs. 
Um, but he doesn't believe the vaccine's for him, and he is entitled to those views. Um, but he ain't playing any basketball in the meantime. And, and he is, uh, they are going to deduct his salary by um, those home games. So you know what he cops for sitting out those games this year? Smithy, 17 million US dollars, which is less than half the salary, but still a good chunk of change. So it's a soap opera, yeah. much like the Ben Simmons one at the Philadelphia Philadelphia 76ers, the Aussie point guard refusing to play for a club he's uh, lost sort of um, his whole sort of uh, uh, respect for, and uh, and it's vice versa. To be honest, and so he's in purgatory. Ben Simmons, so is Kyrie Irving. The two, almost in a way, uh, the two biggest stories of the, this young NBA season. Thanks very much, uh, Mark, and to you too, Jamie, for your contribution this morning. Absolutely. Outstanding. So, yeah, we'll have another panel uh, at this time uh, tomorrow morning where we'll approach uh, a few subjects, I'm sure, current subjects. Uh, might do a bit of cricket tomorrow and just see uh, whether everyone's starting to think where the black caps are.